Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Husky Student Film Podcast. I'm JP Belmont, here with my broadcast colleagues. Hi, I'm Chris. I'm the president of the Husky Film and Video Club at Stanford Campus at UConn. Cassandra, and I'm a member of the Husky Film and Video Club at Stanford UConn. Yes, and, and today we have quite the episode for you today. We are going to be talking about film noir. Uh, the Husky Student Film Podcast was brought to you guys for uh, brought to you guys so that way you can enjoy topics about film and any topic that involves film, film, audio, and we hope you in, enjoy your podcast that we're about to have today. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I'll just you know, I'll spit a little bit about this podcast too. Um, you know, we we came up with this idea, and luckily, uh, JP JP has. Um, experience with podcasting in, in the past um so I, I like we're allowing him to take the, the helm on this one um and this podcast isn't just like you know one specific topic like we, we have you know we have our our points but i think as a whole like we're, we're going to talk about the industry we're going to talk about experiences it's it's gonna it'll be a whole fun thing and hopefully you know hopefully the audience will enjoy it <laughs> whoever whoever decides to listen to this <laughs> Yes, de- definitely, and there's a lot to be said about the movie industry t- in this day and age. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you agree? I, I, hundred yes. <laughs> percent. There, there, there's like so many Absolutely, movies. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, exactly. There, there's so much stuff that we could talk about. Um, like different, like so many different genres, different like up and coming, uh, like studios, and you know what's the new technology, all that. Yep, exactly. And uh, I wanted to uh, kick off today's topic with talking about a genre that has become not only popular back in the times, you know, the 50s, but definitely has been parodied a lot, especially in a lot of cartoons. I'm talking about film noir. Uh, and what it is, it's uh, you're diving into a, a bleak uh, the- thematical movie genre uh, like film noir. Now, for those of you listeners who are unfamiliar with the genre of film noir it's a film genre that began well actually the early 1940s i'm sorry my bad and you know i want the listeners to know that you know um that, that, that this film genre is not only responsible for pretty much branching uh branching out many inspirational movies uh as far as from detective films to even psychological thrillers it's kind of one of the first genres ever to push the boundaries on a lot of things mm-hmm. uh so yeah. actually i have a perfect example for that um it's i want to say it was the film called uh double indemnity yes double indemnity that's one of the first uh f- film noir movies that kind of made it big and it's actually like one of the ones that i remember it got brought up it got brought up to me in one of my first film classes and what the you want to tell us a little bit what the film double indemnity deals with chris oh goodness um well i'm trying to remember i like the last time i watched it was a while ago so i'll have to i, I kind of have to use the wikipedia real quick <laughs> um, no worries so uh, spoiler warning spoiler warning folks for those of you who haven't seen double indemnity so it, exactly i think whenever we talk about a movie we should always just say spoiler warning <laughs> yes exactly um so this is a classic uh, film noir uh an insurance salesman named walter neff played by fred mccurry uh mcmurray sorry 
Uh, he gets roped into a murderous scheme when he falls for the uh, central Phyllis uh, Dietrichson, um, who is uh, intent on killing her husband and living off the fraudulent accidental death claim. So it's this has to do a lot with the uh, the femme fatale, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it does. Yeah. You're not mistaken. Yeah, she like okay, so like she's the one who's orchestrating it, and she wants to basically have her husband killed and wants the money, and then run away with the the salesman, basically. Um. Uh. Yeah. Like so. Like what? What else? <laughs> what else could we talk about this? Um. Well. Well. What we could say is, um, for example. Um, his character is an example of one of the key characteristics of, you know, the protagonist of a film noir is in many early noir movies, a protagonist is usually, it's either someone like a detective or a private eye, or it's usually a screenwriter, a boxer, or a convict, and even hitmen. So, you know, and so in film noirs, it's usually, you know, someone who would be considered, you know, a common, average, you know, ordinary, you know, person, you know, and in society at that time and film noir usually deals with the fall in moral and disintegration of that character and the deterioration you know of their morals so as you said you know he kind of fell for phyllis and that's like an example like you know his morals are about to be tested i say yeah that's like um that actually that movie that you were just talking about it has like the exact same plot you know more or less as body heat like you guys seen that i have not i i think i i've seen the trailer for it but i have not seen it no yeah it's um it's another film noir and basically it's like a woman she's with a man she doesn't like him so she tries to kill him so she orchestrates this whole plan with like a lawyer where in which like you know she gets this lawyer to like go against his morals and everything and like kill um her husband you know and he has this idea that in the end they'll like end up together and run away or whatever but you know she played everybody in that movie because by the end of it she like she got him arrested the lawyer arrested the husband dead took all the money <laughs> ran away to a private island and you know just lived her best life yeah, and this is yeah, actually, he, now looking at this, like, this is, uh, this is from 81, so, like, it, I think that's a great example of noir is kind of, like, a little bit timeless. Yeah, yeah. it definitely is, because in, in this world, you're definitely going to deal with people who are put in a situation where you do questionable things, and when you look at society as a whole, whether it's a politician, whether it's, you know... Uh, someone who works at an office, they will definitely be put into a position where their morals are put in question or they're going to do something that goes against their better judgment and their character. And I think films like Body Heat and Double Indemnity, and especially some of uh, Bill Billy Wilder's uh, early Sunset films like uh, uh, like um, Sunset Boulevard, where the main character, Joe Gillis, uh, he's a screenwriter who's struggling to make ends meet in Hollywood. And due to being in bad debt, he goes on the run from the local authorities uh, to hide in, in a home of an ancient silent film actress uh, named Nora Desmond. And it's here where, you know, the protagonist, you know, Joe Gillis is, you know, he's set up, uh, you know, to have, you know, a saving grace with this lady. But really, he's being uh, set up for a series of unfortunate events. And as each event unfolds, you know, his morals just start unraveling and, you know, uh 
and Norma agrees to to house him as long as he agrees to help her, you know, revise her script. So yeah, there's um, there's definitely you know the main character is gonna start doing something for some sort of femme fatale. And you know, as the story you know goes on for for him, you know, Norma, you know, she suffers from depression, depression, and Joe leaving her like. I don't know if she's not comfortable with it. And you could pretty much relate that to kind of who someone who gets tangled up into a, I could say not a healthy relationship with someone. And as they're trying to leave, like things just get worse. I see. Um, yeah. So you talked about like earlier, how, um, uh, film noir was like one of the first genres, I guess, just like in America cinema and everything. So, like, would you say that it was, like, one of the first genres that kind of, like, had these, like, complex moral kind of yeah, uh, it, it, topics? or Yes. Yeah. yeah, it definitely was because early cinema, like, it dealt with the basic, you know, hero versus bad guy. And this one's more like it kind of took everything, like, instead of making it a typical hero story, it made it into more like a cautionary tale because when you look at these main characters like when you look at the main protagonist of a of a movie you want to root for them you want to root for them to succeed but in this one it's like you're being put in question like okay i want to root for them for things to succeed but at the same time you don't because you know they're doing an awful thing so is it kind of like is it supposed to be somewhat like the anti-hero type thing or is it just like a cautionary a cautionary tale it's a little both because in some film noirs like the protagonist who at first makes a bad decision sometimes he does get a get a redemption in some way shape or form or sometimes you know sometimes even the main protagonist is the femme fatale and even like you go like back and forth whether you want to root for this character and, and in a way it did kind of spawn the first anti-hero because these were films made to kind of critique you know the what was you know what was portrayed as kind of like the perfect world you know around them and what was going on behind closed doors Mm -hmm. i think this is also around the time that hollywood started to become like really big um so like you know the the whole hollywood industry where uh, actually, we learned about this in uh, my sound design class, where like um, sound was used for the first time in in film. You know, um, actually, if you give me one second, I can look that up. So just continue on. Don't mind me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no worries. But yeah, this was definitely like you said, uh, Cassie. Like it, this definitely was kind of like the birth of like the anti-hero or. And it's also the birth of things like Dutch angles, like because film noir, it used that a lot because film noir, it's filmed in black and white, which is what you usually think of when you think of noir. You think of something that's black and white and very bleak and the world is kind of just very like it feels like like it's literally like the color is sucked out of it. Like when you look at, you know, a movie like, I don't know, like like Psycho, like you could feel like there's an eeriness and there's a very like claustrophobic feeling when it comes to film noir that where you feel like you're actually there mm-hmm. yeah and like what would you say like are some like techniques like 
camera techniques or editing techniques that were like bought about this time, right? Like I know you said Dutch angles and um, um Dutch angles, even the use of sound. Uh, the use of sound, also the Kuleshov effect. The Kuleshov effect was definitely used uh, very well here because um, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Kuleshov effect, um, it's an effect where, for example, um, say someone like uh, you're looking at something like it has to do with the facial expression of someone. So say like when you like a, a man could be having a certain look on his face and then it cuts to uh i don't know a cake is he hungry or it could cut cut to uh say someone in a coffin so is he sad is he aroused is he and one of in the, the coolish effect it's usually you know the close-up of someone's like face and i think um with film noir one of the examples of a cool shop effect is that last scene in psycho with norman bates where uh after they give him a blanket you know he hears the voice of his mother's you know uh the voice of his mother inside his head and the way he's looking directly at the camera you know it's hard to know whether okay is he going insane is he having regret and it's like the voice that's kind of like you know inside his head that's you know telling him and also the use of black and white the fact that you know everything in the film noir genre was just very filmed in black and white added to the eeriness of it and you kind of didn't know what was going to happen and the fact that it also dealt with common ordinary people you know in the industry like you could it made the characters very relatable in a sense because they were pretty much at what some people would call an everyman. Mm -hmm. Interesting. The, um, I'm trying to remember what I was going back to. So it was, I believe 1927 was actually the first use of, um, like basically dialogue and sound in a film. Uh, I actually have yeah, it was the first feature film originally presented as a talkie was the jazz sing uh, called The Jazz Singer, which yep. premiered on October 6, 1927. It was a major hit, and it was made with a Vitaphone, which was at the time the leading brand of sound on disc technology. So they would literally imprint onto discs right there. <laughs> um, but like, you know, as, as time went on, sounds got better and i believe it was in the 40s where like multi-track recorders were used so like you know you can actually have multiple microphones this time um yeah like you know for one uh like one of them was used for like maybe um for music like you know if you're in a scene oh my god i can't i can't remember the the name of that movie but it was it was a big movie it was um basically they were in a jazz club right so they had one of the microphones on people you know people in the band and then they had another microphone on the protagonist um yeah the main characters yeah yeah i, I, th I think i think i'm familiar with with what movie you're talking about yeah because at the time in early cinema uh when they first started having sound one of the problems was um and this was they actually did it uh Perf a perfect demonstration of, of this in Singing in the Rain where they're filming the, la the lady walk and all of a sudden her pearls are making too much noise and it's bleeding into the microphone. Yeah. And so 
like they had uh, when you said they started using multi tracks because they needed to make sure you know certain sound wasn't bleeding through that wasn't that they was don't want not to overlap, necessary. Right? Yeah. Like for example, like um, somebody I know is actually in the process of like creating a a noir film right now, um, and I'm probably going to be helping with that. Um, you know, student film, whatever. It's like short and. I think that like the techno like the technology that we're gonna be using is very minimal. Even though it's modern technology, it's just like it's it's the simple stuff. Cause yeah, and it's like we're trying to stay to a T with that one. As in like the very fixed camera shots and um not so much moving. Cause that's like we're we're trying to like stick to the tropes of film noir back in the fifties and forties really. Um Yeah, it could be because back then, it's like the minimalist in the fact that you, the minimalist amount in the fact that you were able to just use less, mm -hmm. and you were able to kind of um, because back then it kind of relied more, like you said, the camera angles and the feel and the subtlety and the nuance. And film noir has a lot of nuance, especially to its buildups. Like uh, I mentioned, the Kuleshov effect, which, uh, by the way, was made by Lev Kuleshov. And it, he started using it in the 1910s and 1920s. And, you know, he used it as a mental phenomenon by which viewers, you know, derive the meaning from, like I said, the interaction of two sequential shots from a single shot in isolation. And one person that used that very well in film noir was Alfred Hitchcock, like when he would kind of zoom in on his face and he'd be like, good evening, I'm, I'm Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock. Mm -hmm. and, you know, and then he would, you know, give, you know, what was the the story of the film like and why you know what was going to happen and so he was a perfect example of you know uh using that and then also the fact that they didn't have color they were able to get away with so many things that kind of like you know felt realistic like did you know that in psycho the blood was actually chocolate syrup because you know it actually went really well with the black and white effect like because they didn't have any color so it went well and so uh one of the the one of the beauties of film noir especially is the fact that m what makes the film great is how you rely on things like angle soundtrack nuance and kind of the way the characters interact and build and kind of make decisions mm -hmm. uh, and Cassie, that's what i sorry so sorry continue <laughs> And that's one of the things I, I feel the movie The Lighthouse did very well because it literally felt like I forgot that, you know, that these actors, you know, were still alive. I thought I was watching an old movie that, you know, and I'm like, wait, what, what was I watching again? You know, right. that's literally like it made me forget that this was that this movie came out in our time and it felt like I was watching something from way back in like the 50s or the 40s. Exactly. Um, Cassie, you were going to say something and then I'll, I'll go back to what you were just saying, George. No, I wasn't. I was oh, okay. With him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry, I thought I heard you say something. Um, hold on, because I actually have the a, something to say about the lighthouse as well. Because like I, I thought the lighthouse was really good. Um, I thought you know it was, it was it was basically a noir film. It was like it was it was really weird too. <laughs> um, I'm trying to remember what the aspect ratio of that was it was like 1.191 uh, so they made it look 
like it was on an old an old TV, right? Uh, it's it's not yep. widescreen like like almost pretty much every film today is. It's not widescreen or full screen. It's it's like they they squared it off, right? And yep. like I I thought that was really cool because they wanted to get that feel for it. Uh, and I'm also trying to remember what the um the millimeter they use because I think they use um yeah anyway I'm not sure um but yeah like I thought I thought it was really cool how they try to like make it look like an old an old movie <laughs> yeah and what I really enjoy much about film noir and especially uh the lighthouse they were able to play around with a sense of voyeurism because voyeurism was something that was really played with in film noir because you felt like like the protagonists or sometimes like felt like they were being watched or you felt like you were being watched and that kind of complements well with the claustrophobic uh uh feel of it because when you're in the you know in some sort of mode where like uh especially like for example when watching the movie psycho where she's driving or she's going down into the basement you literally feel like you're being watched by someone with her and then when she finally you know finds the mom and then norman bates shows up it's like it literally i remember watching it in film studies class uh because uh because i've always seen you know the reference with the knife and you know the violins and stuff like that like it literally like it took me out by surprise and i can understand how at the time that was very scary and at the time film noir by a lot of people like they criticized it a lot they thought it was like uh especially a lot of uh a lot of uh religious groups like they were they just didn't like the way these films were filmed but they didn't realize you know it was a commentary of what was hidden behind closed doors behind you know the glitz and glam of society mm -hmm. um the sorry going back to what i was saying earlier uh the lighthouse was filmed in 35 millimeter like physical reels of film <laughs> Oh um, wow! Yeah, no. So they 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 went back, <laughs> and I believe I want to say Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was also used. I think also like you know seventy millimeter print, but I could be wrong. I <laughs> I'm, I'm still learning about all this stuff too. So <laughs> take what I say with a grain of salt. Yeah, and what I really liked is especially about that particular film is Robert Patrickson's. Pattinson, is it Patrickson or Pattinson? Pattinson. I always Pattinson. Yeah. I always miss Pattinson. The new Batman. Always, yep. He's definitely come a long way uh, from his early film career because I first knew him from Harry Potter as Cedric Diggory. Then when he got into Twilight, I completely forgot that he was Cedric Diggory, and he regretted he regretted doing Twilight. I remember he even said in, in an interview, and then as when he got roles like the lighthouse and now he's getting batman it's like okay like you definitely saw a different side of him that you kind of you almost forgot that, that it was robert uh, robert Pat pattinson he's like he disappeared he's a good actor too like and people give him you know grief for twilight but also i feel like he wasn't given too much to go off of <laughs> Yeah, because when you give him something else, he could disappear into a role. Like, in Harry Potter, like, I remember watching, you know, Harry Potter in, in you know, in the Goblet of Fire 
you know, for the second time. And then all of a sudden, when I saw Cedric Dig- uh, Diggory, and then all of a sudden, uh, a relative of mine walked by with like a Twilight backpack. And I'm like, wait a minute. Oh my God, that's the same actor. Like, right. I, 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 I couldn't believe it. I didn't know Rob Pattinson's name at the time, but his face was just like, that. that's how you could tell. Like, when you can't recognize their face until you have seen them in somewhere else, that's how you know an actor could disappear into his role. And he did that well with Lighthouse because, you know, unless you get a good look at his eyes, like, you forget that, okay, that's that actor. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Uh, I think it was a Devil All the Time. It was on Netflix. Devil All the Time. What's that about? Um, it's uh, it includes um, Sebastian Stan, Tom Holland, Robert Pattinson. Um, and this, you know, kind of spoiler, like you know, spoiler warning because I'm gonna be talking about it. So skip ahead if. <laughs> Um, so it was basically about like this very small town in the south. I don't remember exactly where. Uh, Bill Skarsgård was also in it. The guy who played um, uh, Pennywise in uh, in it. Oh, that... yeah. So this, cast. It, it was a really good cast. Um, so this takes place in the fifties down, like fifties and sixties down in. I'm trying to remember in Knock um Knockimstiff, Ohio. And like it, it takes place in like West Virginia, Ohio, in like in that general like the backwoods, right? right? And so, you know, small towns and religion was the heavy um key in this. And uh, uh Robert Pattinson played a pastor. And, like, you know, like, he he had taken advantage of a lot of the people in his uh, in his church because, you know, he, he was good-looking, so he took advantage of that. Oh, so, wow, so... So, like, he, he, can, he can disappear into a role. Um, like, both with the light... Like, I saw... Like, <laughs> I think I will never get over, like, how everyone in that film had to have, like, a deep, like heavy accent because most of them were are are british and they have a british accent and they had to get like a deep south type like a twang to them yeah it's it's very interesting when people could do that like that's like some some actors they method act that in order like i remember there was one method actor this actress she had to uh stay in her southern accent in order to not lose it you know whenever she was off camera because otherwise she was uh had the fear of losing that accent right i i think sticking with uh, method acting i think like you know jared leto as well had to do that heath ledger for for both jokers um even though you know jared jared leto uh he takes things a bit too far. Yeah. And it's I, I think it'll be very interesting to see him in the Snyder Cut of Justice League. <laughs> oh, man. Like, I just think, like, there's some method actors that are good at it. Like, um, Tom, Tom Hardy, I know he's good at it. He's a method actor. He could also, like, disappear into his roles. And he just... But he, he has, like, a discipline to it. 
But then there's some that it's like they take it way, way too far. And, and they kind of like, uh, oh no, perfect example of that is Joaquin Phoenix as Joker. Yes. Oh my God. Like when I saw how skinny he got, I'm like, He got Jesus. so skinny and his, like, I, I think afterwards, I like, I'm not entirely sure, but like, I, at least something I noticed, his mental state was not the best. Um, yeah. Especially during like the Oscars. And oh yeah, I remember yeah, and it was like, and I'm just like, wow, like they, some method acting can like really take it too far. Um, it like, I mean, but, like, oh, go on. Yeah, no, no, I was just gonna talk about Joaquin because like he, he always does that. Like when it comes to his acting, and like I follow Joaquin Phoenix quite a bit. Like you know, he's my favorite actor, and I'm kind of obsessed with him. Mm -hmm. But uh, um, yeah, he always does that when it comes to like transforming for roles, like losing weight, transforming his like mental state and just mindset you know he's definitely one of the actors who takes it very far him and um i'm forgetting his name christian bale too yes 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 like when yes. it comes to like yes the he... and all that. yeah i think someone like I, he's been referred to as like the human chameleon <laughs> mm -hmm. and how he got really skinny for that one like extremely skinny like mo yeah. like that wasn't cg um and then he got he got bigger for i think it was vice vice yeah when he played um dick cheney mm -hmm. um, wait this was this was christian bale right yeah talking about, talking about this. yeah the thing with method act and especially with certain roles like for example um the joker role because i remember um before like because one of the original on-screen jokers uh at least movie wise was jack nicholson when heath ledger you know may rest in peace like he when before he took on the role jack nicholson told him be careful with the joker because this role this character actually takes your mind places like he literally told him that he warned him about that mm -hmm. and i think honestly like heath ledger he also method acted he he locked himself in a in like a room like a, alone alone you know for like and, and it was in a hotel room he's he spent it alone and that's to get into that mental state of you know of joker and a lot of people you know blame the fact that you know because he got into that mental state why he had his overdose so there are yeah. definitely certain roles that you know and joaquin Fe phoenix with this version of the joker like like you said his mental state was not the best you know at the oscars so there are some characters that you know you just have to be able to not take the character home with you uh i remember uh brian brian cranston who played walter white in breaking bad even said this like one time uh in order to get into this uh state of mind of walter um, he remembers when he was uh, he was being stalked by this lady and then she kept on pounding on his hotel room and then he he thought he had like strangled her like in his mind he envisioned it and then all of a sudden he's at the edge of his bed just like gasping he's like what the heck happened like like you gotta know how to step in and out of that mm -hmm. because he says he wouldn't want to take Walter White home with him because Walter White is a horrible human being <laughs> exactly yeah no, I, I, I didn't even know about. I didn't know about um, Jack Nicholson, and I didn't know, like you know, Jack Nicholson warning Heath Ledger. Um, 
Yeah, I, he, he I, did. I can definitely see how that because this, <laughs> I'm about to say a meme here, but like you know, the, the Joker's so damaged, like, <laughs> like yeah, the Joker's so like, damaged that it could it could resonate onto the person like portraying that role. Yeah, you got to remember he's a character, and you got to be able to separate that because otherwise you don't want to take the character home with you. Mm -hmm. You really don't because you know that's I, I could say that's one of the dangers of method acting. Not, not to say like if you're going into method acting you know just have for those of you who are out there listening that want to get into method acting like have a discipline with it remember yes you you want to if acting like the character off camera is necessary for you to get to be able to portray that character remember that you know you don't have to completely take that character home with you if you're playing a homicidal maniac like okay you could turn the homicidal maniac off like you don't really do yeah like or you know because you have to you know live your life but you, you can't let the character dominate you you have to dominate the character exactly and and that that could be tough you know because like well, also i have no idea because i am not a actor <laughs> um but it's I can imagine that it, it could be very difficult to do that, um, especially for people that have done this before and they have to have so many different, you know, uh, actors that need to get into this because they've done this a bunch of times before. Um, and that can all pile up, you know? Yeah, it, it definitely can. Yeah. Um... Anyway. Exactly. I, th I, th I, think, I think we pretty much co covered, you know, the, the dangers and warnings of method acting. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, you know, so it's it's good it's good to talk about this stuff because like uh, I don't I don't know about everybody else, but I'm trying to get into the film industry, so. Yep, uh, as am I. Yeah, getting as many perspectives as and as as everyone here is cool. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I guess um, it's more like getting different perspectives on everything helps and you know then you could formulate your own not opinion but like your own way and incorporate things like hey check on your actors you know <laughs> yeah and you definitely want to make sure everyone if you want a film to come out good i remember michael brent collins uh for those of you who don't know he's a screenwriter and an horror author he wrote uh the colony series and the billy series uh, one thing he told me is how a film comes out depends on a whole bunch of different little tiny variables. Like, oh yeah, if the like if the sandwich guy did not come in today to provide everybody sandwiches, okay, that's the reason why all the actors look pissed off in you know in in a scene where everyone's supposed to be happy, or if you know, or if someone didn't cook the food right, like okay, that's why everyone looks bloated that's and uncomfortable. That's a good method for like. If there's a scene where everyone needs to be pissed off or angry, just like don't feed them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. I mean that, that's that's certainly a way to do it. But <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um. No. Yeah. Like I I completely agree with that. Like everything matters. You know. Like um. That's actually one of the things that we honestly we might talk about next time as well. Like more in depth. But one of the things that I struggle with is schedule 
and getting everything in order before something happens. And I, I, I always say this. I always say that the setup is the most, is the, like, the hardest part. It, it's, because, uh, for example, like, setting it up, it, I, in my opinion, is way more difficult than actually doing something. So, like, once we get to that point, then it's smooth sailing from there, right? But... Yep. Um, and this, I like, you know, I fear this might apply to when I start to do more and more videos and films and stuff like that is, and I'm trying to get over that is I want to be able to have a concrete schedule and I want to like have a system where like, okay, this is good. This is good. We're set. Okay. Let's go type of thing, you know? Um, yeah. And it's one of the few. Yeah. Go on. It's, it's one of the things that people struggle with. Especially because you know working on a film can get overwhel uh, overwhelming, and you have to treat it not only as a job, but you have to treat it like you know it's something that you're definitely going to enjoy doing. Like I know I enjoy, even if even even though this is not the the healthiest method, uh, you know don't do this, folks. Even losing sleep over a project because I like working on it and just getting it done, you know, with such a passion and just making sure it gets done. You, you know, you know I you agree want... with that. Yeah, I, yeah, I can, you... I can completely sympathize with that. Yeah, like you want to have that pat. Uh, you know, you're passionate about it because it brings a joy to the fact that you know you're able to make something that you created, you know, come to life, uh, come to life. And whether people like it or hate it, you know, what matters is you know you create it. Of course, you want people to like it. You want people to see it. The thing is, you know, you're always going to have your your you know your critics. The thing is, you know, the message and what it is geared towards, and also also treatment is definitely a very big important part of it. And that's something that I think I personally struggle with. I can tell you right now, I am currently right like I'm also not only a DMD major, but I also uh, consider myself an author. I also write currently working on a uh, gothic children's nursery rhyme, and right now I have. I introduce a third character and I have to find out how to treat this character in order to coincide with the storyline mm -hmm. and the overall premise of what my story is going to be. So definitely always plan out, you know, uh, have like uh, an outline of like, or what's the uh, framework of what you're going to, you know, whatever it is you're going to do, whether it's writing a story, whether it's writing a book whether it's a screenplay or have a storyboard if you're going to make you know an, an animation you want to have you want to have the plan before the plan exactly. that that's kind of that's kind of how production work works yet the 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 plan before the plan and then you execute the plan you, you know and then and sometimes it things in the, <laughs> yeah it, it, yeah, it, 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 good, yes. yeah it's like um i don't know if anyone here has seen the flash it's like captain cold said it's like Number one, make a make a plan. Number no, no, you said one, have a plan. Number two, execute the plan. Number three, uh, execute the plan. Uh, number four, expect the plan to go off the rails, and and it's like number five, throw away the plan. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh my goodness. Like um, because I like you know you you're first. Uh, Especially for um, also people who don't know what DMD is, it's digital media and design, and film and video production falls under that category. Um, it's actually a new concentration that was kind of 
I'd say within the last year or two, was um, introduced to, to UConn students, so that's... Yeah, it was... Yeah, it um, came in, like, my freshman year. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and especially, like, down here in Stanford, like, we don't have as much as, like, uh, the main campus does. However, uh, we're, we're, we're trying to get there, and that's why, you know, like, we're doing a bunch of this stuff with uh, the club, like, the podcast, and probably gonna end up doing group projects together, you know, at some point. Whenever COVID yeah. allows us to. <laughs> well, I think we'll definitely find a way. Find a way, because necessity is the mother of in, of invention. And right now, people, whether it's a new show, whether it's a book, whether like this podcast, for example, it's a new way for people to kind of you know to be able to get inspired by. And that's what I always like to do when it comes to making any sort of work, whether it's writing filming photography anything it i wanted to inspire someone to do something great or something better mm -hmm. no exactly and that's kind of a well now we've gone completely off the rails but you know i will have a closing statement because we have a couple minutes left um it, it's I, I like guess... i said folks expect the plans to go off the rails and this exactly, is an example exactly <laughs> because we started with film noir and just went completely off but it's okay because that's the point of a podcast um, so basically, for those who don't know about this club, because either you're either in Stanford, Avery Point, Hartford, or Stores, you know, wherever. This club was kind of started because we didn't really have too much of a community down here in Stanford. Uh, I know for a fact that, um, you, uh, Stores Campus does. They have, like, you know, they've got the budget, they've got, they've got, you know, the... The whole nine yards and we're kind of we're getting there especially stanford we're, we're definitely getting there like we're getting all the classes needed for um students to graduate down here in stanford which i hope by the time i graduate will happen um i think i'm honestly missing like one class down here and it'll be really annoying if i have to go up the stores so <laughs> um anyway the the whole point of the club is so we can get all the people who are interested in film and video production together and um yeah get all the people who are interested together and to produce some good stuff you know so the whole point of this is i want people to interact with each other i want people to be like hey i'm doing this this weekend is anybody willing to help me and yeah definitely going back sure, to your go point uh, just going back to your point of like you know community and helping people out I think that this, like, you know, that's why I kind of started this club uh, last year. Even though, you know, we haven't had as many meetings, it's more of just like, hey, what's everybody doing? Does Do people want to do this? Like, for example, you're going to, uh, George, you're going to, like, a march uh, tomorrow. And yep, it, like, um, it invited um, a few people, you know, so that's that's great. Yep, exactly. And I definitely, you know, if any more people want to join, you know, we could definitely use, you know, another photographer or another person filming in order to make this project happen it's all about you know collaboration and being able to bring a idea to fruition and speaking of ideas for though for our listeners out there if you have any topics that you feel you want us to cover uh on this show uh we will definitely uh we would like to we would like definitely like to hear it uh through some way shape or another we will have a way for you guys to you know send us your ideas yeah yeah um like you know uh, whether it has to do with a specific movie genre the film industry because like we're going to be covering most of that stuff anyway because there's there's a lot to cover that's why 
for creating and this there's podcast. There's a lot going on today, especially with Hollywood, especially with the film industry and the way cinema has evolved. Exactly. You know what? I think that might be our next topic <laughs> next time. I think that'll, that'll be like a great topic and we can cover that. Um, yeah. Kind of like this conversation evolved from film noir to, you know, to the... It all has the... to do with each other. That's that's the thing. It all has to do with each other. And we started off as... It's like the... There, there's a game. I think it's like Five Steps from Kevin Bacon or something like that. It's like some... You know, you start off at a random actor or actress and then you have to get to Kevin Bacon somehow. <laughs> so, like, they've played in a movie with this person. This person has played in a movie with that person. This per And then, you know, end up, ends up at Kevin Bacon. So... <laughs> Um, is that a board game we could buy, or is that, or no, is that no, just a game someone made up? It's just, it's a mental game. It's been a it's been a game around for like you know as long as Kevin Bacon has been doing movies. <laughs> I think um, we'll have to play that one day on this podcast. Exactly, that that'll be a fun one. Um, but yeah, Cassie, any closing thoughts? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> All right, cool. That's fine. Uh, George, any closing thoughts? Uh, well, I would like to say thank you all for, for listening, and we definitely look forward, you know, to bringing you more amazing t topics, content, and if you have any inspirations, remember, you are the creator of what you want to create, and definitely, you know, stay safe, stay healthy, you know, you know, and if you're ever, you know, need to unwind for the day, need to listen to, you know, a topic that doesn't make you frustrated or maybe it does make you frustrated and you just want to talk about it you know come listen to the husky student film podcast here in stanford yeah and uh as well maybe one day if you know people are interested we can have a guest speaker you know a guest you know, oh definitely just, we're, like, we're, we're definitely gonna have in, guests oh yeah 100 percent have guests but like even if like you know we have one um listener that is also interested in film and like get their experience you know the, the stuff like that so you let us know what's happening and would just like to say thank you thank you for listening and we are the husky film and video club at stanford yep bye <laughs> have a good night bye. folks